Seeking mental health care can be overwhelming and even scary, but it doesn't have to be. I'm Dr. Josephine McNary, and I'm committed to making this process easier for you. Each week, my expert guest and I unravel a different form of therapeutic intervention in order to bring comfort and understanding and to help you get back to your true self. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Mind Stories. Today, I'm honored to have on as our guest, Dr. Ian Cook. Dr. Cook is the director and CEO of the Los Angeles TMS Institute and is professor emeritus at UCLA in both psychiatry and bioengineering. For the most of the past three decades, his clinical focus has been on the treatment of mood disorders. He was the founding director of the UCLA Depression Research and Clinical Program in 2007 and started the UCLA TMS program there in 2009. Before retiring from his tenured professorship at the university, he held an endowed chair in depression research and was a chief translational innovation officer at the UCLA Semmel Institute. His research has translated developments in biomedical science into useful therapeutics and diagnostics for the clinic. He is an inventor on several dozen patents on biomedical devices and methods. He received his undergraduate degree from Princeton University and earned his MD at the Yale School of Medicine. He completed a psychiatric training at UCLA's Neuropsychiatric Institute and an NIH-funded T32 Research Fellowship in Psychobiology at UCLA before joining the full-time faculty. Welcome, Dr. Cook. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Mind Stories. Today, I'm pleased to have as our guest, Dr. Ian Cook from LATMS. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Dr. Mary. So I chose you to have on this podcast because I think of you as somebody who knows quite a bit about TMS and you have quite a bit of experience in the field of TMS. So can you tell us a little bit about your experience and how you became involved in TMS? Sure. I have been doing TMS clinically since 2009 soon after the first device got its FDA clearance for use as a treatment for depression. And this comes really out of my background of being a bioengineer who has been long-term committed to trying to bring technology to bear on some of our more pressing clinical problems. Mm -hmm. And since treatment-resistant depression is such a big problem, so many people affected, so many people disabled as a result, this was a natural fit to try to bring a new technologic innovation to clinical practice. Got it. And as a psychiatrist, you know, it sounds like you've always been interested in not just the pharmacological treatment of mental health disorders, but you've, you're kind of interested in different types of non-pharmacological treatments. Exactly. It's been a question of what can we offer to patients, regardless of whether it's a pill, a kind of psychotherapy, or a device. So what is TMS? So TMS stands for transcranial magnetic stimulation. And if we just sort of parse the name, Transcranial means that something is coming across the cranium, across the skull bone. Magnetic refers to the fact that it is a magnetic field that is doing the action. And the stimulation part means that we are causing neurons, brain cells, to fire. And basically the idea of TMS is that we are able to cause an individual's neurons to fire in a very particular way and in a very particular place that then can change how networks function inside their brain And that seems to be the key thing to bringing about symptom relief. Got it. And how, in terms of thinking about what it treats, so you mentioned treatment-resistant depression. Is that the main use of TMS? Right now, that is the main use of it. It also has FDA blessings for treatment for obsessive-compulsive disorder that's resistant to medications. Mm -hmm. But there are studies that are being done now and that have already been done that show that it may have a much broader range of application, including not just mood disorders, but also anxiety disorders and even potentially cognitive disorders. Hmm. 
Okay. So the majority of people that you see and that you give TMS to, is it depression or is it something else? Most of the people who are getting care at, at LATMS have treatment-resistant depression, and many of them have anxiety disorders as well. But we do treat people who have OCD and other problems on top of that. Okay. Would there be a reason why somebody would think of TMS as a treatment before they think about medication? Well, if a person were very concerned about about exposure to medication, it is a treatment that could play a role there. It has not been studied nearly enough for use as a frontline treatment, first line before trying meds. But there's no theoretical reason why it could not be of great use in that situation. And one instance that comes to mind that has been researched is its use in depression during pregnancy or in the postpartum period, where not having molecules in a mom's bloodstream is an important part of the the considerations. Got it. So it's a low-risk type of treatment. Right. There are no systemic side effects. There aren't molecules coursing through a person's bloodstream that can affect other organs. The stimulation really is confined to a small region in space in the head, in the brain area, and that's where the action happens, both for the potential benefits and for, for the side effects, which are pretty pretty mild. What would those be if someone were to have side effects? When a person gets the treatment, the magnetic field that makes the brain cells fire also makes the muscle cells in the scalp fire, and this feels variably like a tapping sensation. People use uh, often the description that it feels like a woodpecker tapping on their head. And when I got the first machine at UCLA back in 2009, I had my staff practice on me rather than on each other for ethical concerns. And yeah, it feels like a, like, like a woodpecker tapping on your head. And now I should say that stops as soon as the treatment's over. But as you would imagine that if you were to go to the gym and have some muscle group that isn't normally being exercised and suddenly do a few thousand repetitions, it might be a little bit sore. And so one of the other side effects that does happen in a minority of individuals, is that there may be some muscle tension headache that follows the treatments. And we think that this is really because of, of the muscles being worked in a way that they're not used to being worked. And that tends to fade within the first treatment or two. So it's very rarely a deal breaker for a patient. Got it. Okay. The other one side effect that we worry about is the potential risk for having a seizure. This is very rare. There have been just a few dozen events since the d- devices were first approved over a decade ago. It's pretty rare, and most centers take a number of safety precautions as standard of care to make sure that it doesn't happen. Going back, I was just thinking, I mean, as a psychiatrist myself, I think about the type of people that I have seen go through TMS. And they're, I mean, you use the word treatment-resistant depression. So I guess in terms of thinking about the studies that have been done, it's really about people who have failed trials of medications and then tried this sort of treatment. So what does that research look like in terms of efficacy of TMS in treating depression? So taken together, what most clinicians would think of is that if one uses the classic FDA-approved kind of paradigms that go back to 2008, one sees a meaningful improvement, which is to say people feel remarkably better in about half the cases. And about a third of individuals will actually report that they feel like they're in remission, which is to say that their symptoms are so low that it's like they're not depressed at all. Some of the newer paradigms actually have data that has been published suggesting that they may be able to achieve more like three quarters or or even 80% of people getting into remission. And that is, of course, very intriguing because here's a low risk, low side effect kind of treatment that could be really, really helpful when people have tried meds diligently and it's just not doing the job for them. Got it. And if someone is thinking about TMS, what are the logistical considerations that they have to think about? 
Well, the classic paradigm involves coming in for treatments once a day. And typically, one, one seeks a treatment course that has about 35, 36 treatments as part of that. And so you're looking at a multi-week proposition for the most part. Luckily, during that time, people can drive themselves. There's no restriction on their activities or what they're doing. But being able to come in once a day for many, many weeks is sort of the norm at most treatment facilities. Some places are exploring what is called accelerated TMS, where one can do more than one treatment in a day. And that, of course, shortens the time burden dramatically for the patients. The other consideration is whether or not uh, they're going to use insurance to cover it, because many insurance companies have particular pre-authorization processes that one should go through. Got it. So if someone, in terms of thinking about having to go into the office daily for a matter of weeks, how long, how long would they be in the office for each given, given day? So at most centers, that involves being in the treatment room for somewhere between 20 and 45 minutes. With the accelerated treatments now using a thing called Theta Burst, treatments can be as short as three minutes. And so it's a very different kind of experience that way. And what do you think about that new form of TMS? We have been using that with great benefit to patients since LATMS opened. Got it. So it seems like that's the preferred type of TMS to do. It just is more efficient in terms of time and the efficacy is just as good. Well, it, it is much gentler on the patients. It's a lot faster because if you are doing more than one treatment in a day, you can get well that much faster. There are still some questions about how to do it best. And really the, the leads on this have emerged from some work that was done at Stanford. And it's still really on the cutting edge. The standard TMS of once a day for many weeks is really the standard of care that most places employ. And that is, of course, the FDA cleared protocol that goes back to 2008. I like to think that science has progressed in the interim years and that we can do things better and smarter now. But most places still are most, most comfortable with the once a day for typically six weeks. Got it. Moving on, just because I've had quite a few patients go through the process, and this often comes up in terms of thinking about lasting. I mean, you, you had mentioned this idea about sustained improvement in depressive symptomatology. How long, I mean, do people need to return for TMS over a period of time? What do, what do you usually see? So I think it's best to think of TMS as being a treatment that does have good durability. In some of the studies that have been done, and this is mostly looking at the classic kind of TMS, the majority of individuals who did well with the acute course were still well at six-month, 12-month follow-up. Some people do find that if they have some return of symptoms in the first few, few weeks or months, that sometimes a few, what we sometimes call booster sessions, can bring things back on track. And one doesn't need to do an entire new course of treatment, but really just a handful of treatments is often enough to get things reestablished in the, in the remission range. And someone going into TMS, does it mean they stop all the medications that they're currently on or do they remain on them? When the FDA first approved TMS, they actually looked at studies where people had washed out of their medications beforehand. In the, the real world of practice, that seldom happens. Most use of TMS in the current year is actually done as an adjunct, that it's being added on to medications. And in part, this is, I think, for logistic reasons, that if you're changing medications while you're doing TMS, it's very, very hard to sort out cause and effect as to why is a person getting better or is not getting better. And I know I've been surprised from some early experiences with, with a medication that didn't seem to be helping very much may actually be doing more than people recognize. So the emerging common practice is really to have people stay on their meds while they're getting TMS and then usually wait maybe a few weeks 
after the TMS course is over to make sure that things are, are durable and stable, and then think about adjusting medications after that point. Got it. So they remain on the medications throughout treatment and post-treatment as well. Right. Got it. And then this idea of post-treatment, if they have a significant response in terms of treating depressive symptoms, then if it seems reasonable with their psychiatrist, they can slowly taper off possibly that medication. Yeah. That's actually one of the frequent questions that people will ask once they start to feel better is when can I adjust my medications? Because side effects that may not have been deal breakers when they were feeling severely depressed may become more of an issue. Mm. And so we generally counsel people to wait at least a few weeks to really get a sense of how stable their response has been before adjusting medications. But then again, that's something that needs to be done in very close coordination with uh, patients prescribing a psychiatrist. That shouldn't be undertaken independently. A few, uh, insomnia comes to mind. A lot of people who have depression suffer from insomnia. How do you think of TMS in the context of treating insomnia? So when insomnia is part of depression, it tends to get better along with the other symptoms. When people have looked at the question of, of symptom response, most data sets suggest that really the symptoms tend to, to get better as a collective. Uh, it's not usually thought to be the case that it's especially good for people who have insomnia versus those who oversleep. There is some more recent work suggesting that one may be able to refine the exact targets in the brain that are being stimulated to more personalize the treatment experience for each individual and really to match their worst symptoms with the best kinds of stimulation that are being performed. But that's still in the, in the research stage. Got it. What about bipolar disorder? There, the research literature is a bit more mixed. It doesn't seem in most studies, that people with bipolar depression do as, as well as people who have unipolar depression. That said, in my own experience, we've had a number of people with depression as part of bipolar disorder who do get improvement from TMS, even if medications haven't been, been part of the solution before. But there, it's, it is very important for them to, to stay on their meds, especially mood-stabilizing agents, to help guard against the possibility of the TMS placing them into a hypomanic or manic state. Got it. So that kind of leads into the next question, contraindications to use of TMS. It could be someone, I mean, you're, you don't use TMS to treat mania associated with bipolar disorder. At this point, there's really no, no data to say that it can be helpful. The studies that have looked at that have, have generally been small and aren't really enough to, to drive practice. Got it. Okay. I just am thinking of all these questions that come up as, as I have people ask me about TMS and you know, the course that they go through with it. Another question I have is often, how does someone think about choosing a TMS provider? Well, I think it's, it's very much like choosing any kind of mental health professional, that you want a TMS provider who is going to be working with the patient and with the patient's other providers as part of a team. You want someone who has experience, who does this treatment modality a lot, much like with other procedures in medicine, whether it's bypass surgery or heart transplants, you want someone who does whatever the procedure is a great deal of the time so that they are really on top of their game. The other thing I think is that it, it may be desirable for people to, to work with someone who is not just a practitioner, but is also contributing to the field. They are actively engaged in bettering the treatments because that way they will probably have access to the best possible practices. Mm -hmm. Okay. I mean, there are, in big cities, it seems like there are so many TMS groups popping up as, as 
possibilities. And so, yeah, I guess it was just kind of thinking about how they coordinate care with your provider and in terms of just their experience and, and history, you know, in, in the field, right? I guess another question I have is, where do you see the future of TMS going? So I think where TMS is going to be headed in the future is in a couple of different directions. I think the first one has to do with what other kinds of conditions can be helped with this kind of modality. People are looking at it. I had mentioned in passing, you know, that people are looking at it as a treatment for cognitive disorders like dementia. People are looking at it as a treatment for rehabilitation after a stroke. People are looking at it as a treatment for epilepsy. People are looking at it within psychiatry as could this be useful for people who have autism, for people who have substance abuse disorders. And so there are a number of other conditions where this is being examined. And really what's driving this is better understanding from the neurobiological standpoint of what are the circuits in the brain that are not doing their job right when people have these other conditions. Because this is, you know, rather than trying to change the flow of, of neurotransmitters between cells like we use with our medications, here the conceptual model is that the brain has a number of distinct circuits in it. Each circuit is involved in some aspect of, of mental function, whether that's memory or regulating mood or anxiety or things like that. And depending upon what circuit is being targeted, one can produce benefits for different kinds of symptoms. And so increasingly, as we learn more about how the brain is organized and what circuits are involved in which illness, we're better able to think about how this could be used for, for different kinds of treatments, for different kinds of illnesses, I should say. The other big area of, of research is in, in terms of how do we make it better? How do we improve the efficiency with which we can help people get well again? And there are questions of, you know, well, are there ways in which we can adjust the kind of stimulation in terms of the, the pulsing being fast or slow or patterned or, or more mechanical, different kinds of treatment protocols? like the accelerated TMS one that we use at, at LATMS, where we have to get the timing right for when each successive treatment session is provided. These are the kind of things that will uh, allow us to get higher rates of people well. And I think that's the other big area for growth. Got it. Could you see a point where it might surpass use of medication in treatment of different mental illnesses? I think there may be some instances where it may become the preferred frontline treatment, but at this point for depression, because the response and remission rates are still pretty good with $4 a month generic uh, SSRI medications versus a much more costly and time intensive and human power intensive kind of treatment, I don't think this is going to become something that displaces medication treatment for a lot of people. Got it. At least not, not for some time to come. Right. But if, say, in your LATMS, if someone comes to you saying, you know, this is my first episode of depression, I've never been on medication, I don't want to be on medication, would I be able to get TMS? Do you think that would be an appropriate patient to just initiate treatment with? I would want to understand more about why they are leaning in that direction. My own belief is that it should be quite efficacious in people who have, never, who have not been treated with medications previously. I had actually applied to the NIH to get a grant to study this very question about people who, it's not that they have failed medications or that medications have failed them, but that they have an aversion to pharmacotherapy and want to try this as a, as a first-line treatment. That grant, unfortunately, didn't get funded. So it's still an, an open question in terms of the research literature. But on first principles, it seems like it, it would not be an unreasonable thing to try. Right. Going a little bit backwards, because I forgot to ask this question before, and I... I 
would love to hear your answer. This idea of unilateral versus bilateral treatment of TMS. So this is a great question because here the, the research literature is mixed and many people have well-informed but different opinions about this. In Europe, the tendency is to treat with stimulation over the right hemisphere. In the U.S., the first FDA approval was for treating with so-called high-frequency TMS on the left, over the left dorsolateral prefrontal cortex, as opposed to slow, low-frequency TMS over the, the right DLPFC. There have been some studies that have looked at doing the combination of both left and right, usually not, not simultaneously because that would require having two machines or a machine with two coils, but doing it so-called sequentially where you do one side and then the other. And there, the data can be interpreted variably depending upon one's own perspective. My tendency is to think that we start where the evidence is strongest, and if a person is not showing the expected kind of result within a handful of treatments, then we can think about about bringing in the other side. Got it. Okay. But you start, the treatment starts on basically one side and then you move to bilateral if necessary. That's the way that I practiced it at UCLA when I was on faculty there. And that's the way that we generally practice things at, at LATMS as well. Really in terms of trying to personalize the treatment to each individual and trying to get, you know, to do the best for each individual person to get them well. Yeah, this was kind of, I had rapid fire questions as I thought of all the things that come up when people ask me about TMS. Is there anything you think would be helpful that we didn't talk about? I think it's maybe useful to think about what TMS isn't because people often think, well, there's medications and then there's devices as if it's all sort of one big category. So some things that the TMS isn't, it's not electroconvulsive therapy. In ECT, the intention is to produce a seizure. With TMS, there is no seizure. With ECT, a person is under anesthesia. They have driving restrictions. Their cognitive side effects often make it difficult for them to perform well in work or in school. None of that is the situation with, with TMS. So it's a very distinctly different modality, even though they are both, quote, neuromodulation kinds of approaches, which is to say that we're using energy rather than molecules to try to affect improvement. Another thing that it isn't is that it isn't magnets that you wear on your body. The way in which TMS works depends upon there being a small current induced in the, in the brain. And permanent magnets that you wear on your body just can't generate the kinds of magnetic fields that would make that depolarization of cells happen. And so it's distinctly different from the kinds of things that you may, may see, even though, again, it's magnetic. And so people often conflate the two things together. They're very different. And finally, I would say, you know, TMS is a thing which is done in the office with trained physicians and technicians to ensure the safety of the patient. It's not something that people do at home. There are other modalities that people can use at home, but TMS is really an office-based procedure at this point and is likely to remain that way for, for some time to come. But those are some of the, I think, the, the differences that, that are worth underscoring because people do read things online and it's easy to, to have a hard time to parse out what's the reality of what TMS is about. Okay. And on the episode description, I will have a link to your website for LATMS located in Los Angeles. But are there other online resources that someone could refer to if they want to learn a little bit more about TMS? There is actually a free webinar, which I had done for a project that SAMHSA and the American Psychiatric Association had done. And I can give you the link to that as well. That's more intended for practitioners than it is for individual patients, but it covers a lot of information that may be useful to people who are considering TMS as well. 
great. So yeah, we'll make sure we add those there. I think you answered all of the questions I, I had about TMS and more. I really appreciate your time today. I know you've been very busy with TMS and the other treatments that you provide in your center. And I really appreciate all your contributions to the field. And I think it's, you know, I think it's, it's an honor to have you on as, as our guest. Any kind of last words that you have for the listener? No, thanks, Josephine. It's really nice to be able to talk with you about this approach to treating illness. It's been been a central focus of my professional career for now a number of years. I think the closing words of wisdom, such as it is uh, that I would, would share, is simply that TMS does offer new hope to many people who have, have tried a long list of medications and just have not been able to get well, even despite years of struggle. In the big analysis that was done of the first major trial of TMS, Holly Listenby and others looked at the question of, well, what predicts who will get well? And it wasn't how long a person had been ill. It wasn't how severely ill they had been. It was a matter of how many medications they had gone through and had been let down by on the way to to treatment. So even if a person has been struggling with depression for many, many years, TMS can work and it's worth considering. And increasingly, there are places, not just in the the major urban areas, but throughout the country where people can, can have access to this kind of a therapy. Got it. Yeah. Well, it's so great to know. And I I think this will be a really great resource for listeners. So I really appreciate it. And thanks for being on. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Take care. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. This has been Mind Stories. With remote appointments in California and offices in downtown Los Angeles, Santa Monica, Hermosa Beach, Marina Del Rey, and Echo Park, Cal Psychiatry specializes in medication management, mood and anxiety disorders, alternative therapies, women's mental health, and more to help you get back to your true self. Visit us at calpsychiatry.com. Thank you for listening to Mind Stories, and don't forget to subscribe. Subscribe.